1983. Welcome back to the Stu Simpson Show. Today we meet Ian Brown, a folk singer and songwriter who lives in Northumberland. I got it wrong at first. I said Cumbria because that's where I know him from, but he's not from there originally. But you will find out where he's actually originally from in today's Stu Simpson Show podcast. Thank you for listening. Check out Ian. He's a very good man indeed. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Stu Simpson Show. And today's guest, we have Ian K. Brown, a good friend of mine and a fantastic folk musician and singer-songwriter who lives in Cumbria. Hello, Ian. How are you today? Well, it's news to me that I live in Cumbria. I live in Oh, Oregon. you don't live in Cumbria Just at all. Just over the border Indeed. from Cumbria. Yes. You could almost spit there, but you can't do that because of COVID, obviously. <laughs> of course, of course. How are you? It's been, it's been, I've actually I'm not very seen well, you, thank really. you. I'm, I'm looking forward to things opening up, and they are starting to open up a little bit now. And uh, there's, you know, a little bit of more work coming in, so that's quite nice. Yeah. I, the Cumbria thing, it was because my brain went to... Oh, I was almost about to say he's from North from Northumberland, and then I went. Actually, he's not from Northumberland. He's from down south somewhere originally. Where are you from originally? I'm originally from the Medway Towns in Kent, which is where I was born, um, and I've lived in the northeast since becoming a student there in 1974. And I stayed up here, um, ended up working and living in Northumberland. So if it wasn't for higher education for both of us, we would have never have met because I ended up in Cumbria because of um, art. But the interesting connection with Cumbria in terms of my own songwriting, I've probably written more songs that are related to Cumbria than Northumberland. Well, why is that? I don't know, really. I just suppose it's where the inspiration came from. Um, there's certainly two songs that uh, I had that were about Carlisle specifically. And then with the link with Music on the Mar Festival in Cumbria at Castle Carrick uh, a few years ago with Tom Spate, uh, when he asked me to write some songs about the building of the reservoir uh, at Castle Carrick, which supplies water to, to Carlisle. So then I wrote another four songs that are kind of, Definitely Cumbrian-based. So where can people hear those songs? What, the other songs? Uh, those songs about, about um, Castle Carrick. Yeah, the, those songs about Castle Carrick are... Um, well, it's not just Castle Carrick, because it's about water supply to Carlisle, which you might think sounds really boring. But it is quite interesting when you start looking into the history, because history is interesting. Um, Carlisle was originally supplied by water, by wells. If you go to the castle, there's a well. If you go to the cathedral, there's a well. If you go up near the law courts, near the station, there's what I call a pant, which is a fountain. And they're all places to get drinking water. Now, Carlisle, not a lot of people know this, but they will if they listen to this, is and has been throughout history the most besieged city in the British Isles. England, Scotland, in Scotland, England, and they all wish they were in Scotland now. But yeah. uh, because of that, it was a garrison town. And being a garrison town, um, there was a chance that if you were naughty and got in trouble with the, uh, the police, the, with the law in Carlisle, that if you were put up before a magistrate, you'd get a choice, either enrol for the army 
or serve hard labor. Now, a lot of places, um, other than smashing up rocks with a great big hammer, they started putting in um, treadmills to pump up water so that you didn't have to stick a bucket down a well. So the first song that I wrote uh, about Cumbria as part of the reservoir story was about the possibility of someone who got in trouble in Carlisle, was asked whether he wanted to join the army, decided he didn't want to, and so did hard labour on a treadmill. And uh, at the end of it, it has quite a gruesome ending. I love it. So we've kind of jumped in at the deep end there of where your songwriting is kind of up right now. Uh, where did it all begin? I suppose when I was about 12, 12, 13, and I went to, or I say I went to grammar school because I was, it was in the days of the 11 plus and I lived in the middle of a council estate and I went to grammar school uh, and that was quite a, a big change for me. And uh, I started running then. It's interesting. You, you say, what's that got to do with singing? But the, the teacher who used to take us cross-country running, who, apart from being a, a British international cross-country runner, and probably uh, one of the most talented runners I've known because he ran so well with doing so little, uh, he was also a folk singer. And I've got recollections of him singing a lot of Ewan McColl songs. And that indeed was my very first songbook that I bought, which was a uh, Ewan McColl and Peggy Seeger songbook, which cost me 17 and six. Now, because of that, I wanted to get a guitar and I got a really crap guitar for my 13th birthday, which I persisted with until I was 16. And then I got a better one, which I've still got now. And uh, I suppose it all starts there. And um, not everybody writes songs, but I, I liked writing songs. They sort of, they came to me. Um, that's the way I generally write songs. Um, the Reverend Gary Davis, blind Gary Davis, uh, uh, a blind ragtime guitarist who has got lots of songs credited to him. He often said about his songs, this song was revealed to me. And I think that's quite a nice way of putting things because sometimes the best songs that you write just sort of come out of thin air and then you just work on them and they come together and they might seem to be really complicated, but when you put them together, they just sort of fit as though they're, they're almost predestined. So what comes first for you? Is it the lyrics or the music or, is it, or do they come together? That's a difficult question. Um, Sometimes it might be an idea. Um, I can think of a song that I wrote and it's related to Carlisle. Um, and it's an interesting, uh, the way it came to me. And it, it came to me because I was in Carlisle with my family and it was in the Lane Centre, which was one of these new shopping centres at the time. It's not so new now. And in the Lane Centre, they had a little feature in one of the little squares of uh, otters. And it was a water feature then. The otters are still there in Carlisle uh, in the same square, but it's not a water feature. And um, in that square, when we arrived, there was a tramp, a homeless person, whatever you want to say, he was sat to one side, crying his eyes out. And 
there was this almost like a wall of just air as everyone kept a distance, you know, and it was near Christmas and everyone just sort of looked on. And then after a while, what was obviously another tramp came along, got out of 50 pence and basically said, let's go for a cup of tea. Now that was really quite a moving situation to be in. And then I remember the following day, I went out for a run because I've mentioned I was a runner. And it was about 15 mile run cross country. And in my head, I wrote this song and it had three distinct parts, different tunes. And when I came back, I just wrote it all down. And that was it. Do you and remember? It just came together on a run. Wow. But, you know, and it was quite a, you know, detailed song with a, with a good story. And uh, yeah, that's just one example. But it just, I was in a relaxed state out for this 15 mile run. A lot of people don't understand the idea of going for a run and being totally relaxed. And it was there. That sounds to me very much like a, a meditative state, like somebody would, because I meditate twice a day. And that's kind of what happens for me is that everything becomes blank and, you, and, and you're in the moment. So is that... Mm-hmm. Is that what happens when you're running? It used to. My body is a little bit more worn out and, and, and broken now, but I'm still a runner by habit. So I try to get out and drag this tired body of mine out to do something most days. So does the pain from the running distract your mind, in a sense, from getting into that place? Yes. They, they don't come to me running so much now. Yeah. I, the, the last song that I wrote, uh, by contrast, was that I was sitting down in my living room watching the TV in the evening because there's not a lot else to do in the evening or hasn't been for the last year. And for some reason, I just there was something came into my head and I switched the telly off. And then I just came out with some words for a song. And it was just one verse. And I wrote those down and then I continued watching telly. And then that was almost like a seed of a song. And after that, all the other verses grew out of it. And to a certain extent, the very first verse became less important. And it it is in fact a middle verse to the song. And uh, uh, because I had some recording equipment set up, a simple set, set up for recording, I then recorded it and it sounded all right. And I have to say, to this day, it's the most played song I've ever had on radio. What's it called? It's called, what is it called? Um, I Remember the Time. Excellent. And uh, just about every uh, record Every radio station I've uh, just sent this MP3 to, they've played it. Beautiful. Not necessarily Radio One. What, what, what is it? What is it about? Pardon? It's, what is it? It, it? I think. Well, I think time is probably, as you get older, one of the r- most written about things um, in folk music, and it's all about, I suppose, special times, um, and. Uh, I suppose the times we're in at the moment, you've got to recognise them. They are different and they're special. And it makes us recognise the importance of being with family and friends. So it's, it's, it starts with that, 
the importance of family and friends. And it goes through different stages of life, uh, like playing in the street when you're a child, like kissing someone for the first time, being with your first baby, going through a really bad time. Then it comes back to the present and then thinking, actually, all we need is family and friends. So it's it's time. It's the whole gambit. Oh, beautiful. It reminds me of uh, one of Roy Bailey's songs he, that he covered called, called, I think it was called Time. I uh, can't, can't remember the guy who wrote it. But he, he yeah, beautiful song. But we both know Roy and he was, I believe, an inspiration to you in your in your songwriting and not because he wasn't a songwriter but in we're both we were both friends of Roy before he passed away um Roy was fantastic I I was delighted to uh, re-meet him at Music on the Mar and delighted that actually became I suppose uh I could call him a friend because I did talk to him a lot and uh and I certainly talked to him before he died. I remember leaving music on the mar before the after party and going back to your house when there was nobody there except Roy because he was getting tired because uh, I wanted to say cheerio. And then he started raiding the food and taking the, the wrappers off the food, took some early food in. And we just had a long chat before I left. But meeting him at music on the mar, uh, the time before that I had first met him was at the university folk club in the late 1970s where he came and sang so it you know when you get to re-meet uh folk singers that you've seen when you were quite young um who have then become legends and then you get to know them well yeah he's an inspiration absolutely so i first came across you supporting brooke uh, brooks williams brooks williams that's the one uh, at the Carlisle Porter Blues Club. And I believe that was your first gig that you'd done in years. Was that right? That, that was. It, it was interesting uh, because I, I'd had, I would say, about three, three to four years living where I'm living now. I mean, I've lived here for a lot longer than that, but I, it was a, a difficult time of my life. And, uh, and I was living, I suppose, as a kind of lone parent which actually, when I look back, was really great. We had some great times. But during that particular time, I focused on being a parent, and I didn't actually go out. And then when my youngest child was going to go off to university, I thought, well, what on earth am I going to do, you know, with my time? And I thought, well, I'd better start playing some music. And I was really nervous. And in those times, you had to ring up a number and say, could I have a floor spot, uh, a singer's night at Carlisle Folk and Blues Club, which I did. And uh, I went along and played my three songs. And then afterwards, I was asked to do support for Brooks Williams, who happens to be, you know, one of the best blues guitarists that you could find, absolutely fantastic. And I, it kind of started from there. Um, Doing support for Brooks Williams, there was one really funny thing, because obviously you you, you get back into something, and, and I, don't, I don't know what it's going to be like when we get back into performing again, you know, with this whole year and a half off. But uh, because it was my first kind of proper gig for a long, long time, I was quite nervous. 
And um, when I was there, you know, in front of the microphone with my guitar, ready to start my first song, something happened a bit like, I don't know whether any people who are listening will remember the Partridge family. Is it before your time? I know who they are, but I've not, but yeah, so they, but it is well, a little bit the Partridge before family my time. was a, a story, a, a, a kind of family friendly series on TV about a family that all got together and they, they put together a band and they practiced in their garage. And when they finally had their first gig, the mum kept saying, God, I'm really nervous about it. And all the kids said, oh, don't get nervous. It'll be fine. You won't have any stage fright. And when they actually started to play, she started singing and all the kids froze. And then she had to say, right, just close your eyes and imagine we're in the garage. And then it all started and was fine. Well, I had one of those kind of moments at Carlisle Folk and Blues Club because I went to start playing my guitar and my hands and my fingers did all the right things, but there was no sound coming out. And I thought, blimey, what's going on here? And I thought, all right, I'll try again. And I started and nothing came out. I'm thinking, gosh, my fingers got stage fright. This is ridiculous. And then I started again a third time, but then it all happened and it was fine. I don't know how good I played. Um, I thought I did okay, but in hindsight, when you look back at things, you realize that you do improve your performance skills. The funny thing about that, I went to the person who was doing sound. Um, it was Angeline Beatty. Oh, yes, Angeline. He was doing sound. And I, I said to her afterwards, I said, I don't know what happened there. Three times was it stage fright? And three, you know, I tried starting three times and it only happened on the third time. Then she said to me, Oh, sorry, I forgot to switch the PA on. That's, that's definitely, that sounds like Angeline. <laughs> yeah, She's a lovely, good, lovely right? woman. <laughs> but it, that, that was a really good stepping stone for mm. me. And uh, it started, lots of things started coming at me from lots of different places. And I think since then, I've been very lucky. And, you know, and I say lucky uh, because, you know, I know a lot of talented musicians who struggle and I you know I mean I'm not talking about struggling financially although there's those as well mm. but struggle to find gigs and uh, find a way forward to to show off their music uh, and I just think uh, since that time I've been very lucky. It's an interesting so were you a teacher for a while? <laughs> a teacher for a while <laughs> uh, yeah I was a teacher in Holt Whistle I was a deputy head for 23 years. In That's a while. <laughs> that is a while, yeah. And that, that came to a halt because I was a different kind of deputy head. I was known as a deputy head community. And I used to organise all the evening classes and youth classes and youth activities, not just at the school in the evening, but in the surrounding villages as well. Uh, I did do some teaching as well and I taught IT and PE and geography, I took just about everything, music occasionally. Um, and uh, then they decided to reorganize things and I was made redundant. And uh, I decided I didn't want to go back into full-time education. I wanted to sort of focus on things that I enjoyed more. And fortunately, I did manage to find ways to do things that I enjoyed more and also survive financially, which is important. So I think perhaps your experience 
in that teaching role might have helped help you get gigs now because um I sometimes struggle and I know other people in the same position of actually phoning up people and saying give a gig and it seems to be a really effective way of, of actually making that contact especially in the folk world it's not so much in other genres but in the folk world it's very very much taken on uh, a lot of personality and lots of, sort of interpersonal relationships are a really important part of getting somewhere within it but if you're kind of got social anxiety or, or other things you find it difficult specifically speaking one-on-one to somebody because I'm bothered I'd like to think that I'm quite good at standing on a stage and performing and doing that side of things but it is much a, a bigger struggle just actually talking to a person one-to-one so I find that actually phoning somebody up a bit of a, a mental kind of a, right I've got to stand up and be proud and I have to set myself up to do that um, but maybe your job in teaching uh, is in you, you're quite a confident person. I think you come across as a confident person. Is that is that is that true? Now that's that that's quite interesting uh, because when you go through a stage of being made redundant because they're reorganising things, it is a very de-skilling. Uh, stage in your life because effectively the way everything is worded it's worded in a way is that now the things that you do are no no longer needed and are no longer important and that's the basis of being made redundant so in lots of ways being made redundant does de-skill you and actually you know and sometimes if, if you're not in a good place when that's happening, um, it can be, you know, a double whammy. But what you have to do when you're in that position, you have to say, well, actually, I have got skills. Um, and then when you start thinking about all the skills you've got, yeah, there are a lot there. And, and one of the things that I did do when I was a deputy head, I didn't have a full-time teaching uh, commitment but one of the things my last head teacher said, would you like to start teaching whole class guitars? And I'm thinking, what a nightmare, teaching whole class guitar. And, um, and, and we, you know, and I said, well, okay, I'll give it a whirl. And uh, I didn't think it would work, but actually I learned a fair bit and I did make it work. And, what I did when I was made redundant, one of the first things I did was contact Northumberland Music Service about being a peripatetic music teacher, just doing music. And then I didn't hear from them. I didn't hear from them for nine months. And finally they contacted me and uh, I had an interview. And then, you know, one of the things I said, oh, I mean, I did teach some stuff and I produced my own material for teaching. They said, have you got some with you? And they were quite impressed with my what I'd prepared. And uh, they gave me a job. And initially, I was teaching guitar. But then the head of the music service uh, then, um, a woman called Hilary Gordon, I don't know whether you know her. No. Uh, you will have come across her at Barfest. Uh, Hilary was head of music service, and she had all kinds of projects up her sleeve. And uh, she said, we've got this project where we're trying to kids singing just singing lots of songs and it's you know it's called 
60, no, 50 years of song. And, and you're going to go into schools and teach them a lot of songs. And then we're all going to come together, you know, a load of schools at once and sing them. And she said, do you want to try that? Well, okay, I'll have a go. And I really enjoyed doing that. And then there was another project that she had, uh, playground singing, going into schools and uh, teaching kids to sing playground songs with all kinds of actions. And I was working with somebody at, who was from the Sage in Gateshead. And that person is still a friend of mine. And uh, in fact, yeah, I played in a band with her eventually. Um, and uh, she went off to Glastonbury and I didn't, but there you go. Uh, and, um, and I did lots of things like that. And then, and then I was asked, would you like to teach ukulele? And I said, I've never picked one up before in my life, no idea. And they said, it's all right, we've got a book to help you, help you teach ukulele. So they gave me the book and uh, I looked at it and I thought, what a load of rubbish. And so I then started teaching ukulele my way. And, um, and then it suddenly became easier. Um, you will know Mike Coleman from Core Music um, yep. in Hexham. Uh, he's one of, he was one of BBC's unsung heroes, a great guy. And he said to me, all you've got to remember, it's just a guitar. I said, but it doesn't sound like one. He said, no, ignore that high string at the bottom. It's just, everything's the same shapes. And suddenly it all clicked. And then I, I developed a way of teaching my ukulele. And um, then uh, I, one year, I, I, I was, because of Carlisle Folk and Blues Club, and I did know Maddie before that, I ended up playing at Stepping Stones. And uh, I mean, you played at Stepping Stones as well. And the second year I went back, I said, do you want a ukulele workshop? And then I, did my first ukulele workshop there. And then I said to Richard about Music on the Mar, because I got invited for the first time to go to Music on the Mar, would you like ukulele workshop? And uh, what you said about finding a way in, um, I think ukuleles have been as good for me to get into festivals as anything, because yeah, I want to play and I want to sing my stuff and sing my songs. And I love doing gigs. But, and I'll put that, but if you, and then I add, and if you want a ukulele workshop, I can come and do them and I can bring a load of spare ukuleles as well. Because at the time I used to sort of uh, temporarily borrow them from schools. I did used to take them back, obviously. I've now got my own, but that's one way in it. But like you say, it is difficult getting gigs. Um, I've virtually given up on the folk club circuit. It's closed, you know. Yeah. There is, a, it's very much tied up with certain people just keep going round and round and, you know, oh, we're booked up for the next three years. I mean, I might not be here in three years, so I'm not going to wait. Uh, what I did find was one of the best things to do, and which I did in recent years, in terms of gigs, start organising my own. And as you know, uh, I started, set, you know, having gigs up at the Twice Brewed Inn probably one of the most isolated pubs in England. Um, and yet, you know, over the years, um, been able to attract full houses to events there and get really good acts. And as a result of that, also got good connections with a fantastic sound man. And what we put together is 
a really good night for everybody. Quality music, quality sound, absolutely fantastic beer. Yeah, I have to say that my son brews it, but it is great. We'll, we'll, we'll get Matthew on a, another podcast at some point to talk about brewing. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and I also get a chance to play. And quite often I will, with whoever is, who is playing, uh, quite often I do something with them. So, yeah, I'm missing those because those obviously stopped uh, over this COVID period, but hopefully they will open up again. So have you always had an entrepreneurial spirit about you? Because you seem to just take ideas and go with them. Yeah, I mean, you know, when, when, when one door closes, you've got to look for another one or it might suddenly appear. Um, there was nothing we could do when the first lockdown happened. We couldn't, nothing we could do about it. It was there and I, I start thinking, well, I'm just going to sit around doing nothing. And uh, what I did during lockdown uh, was I made some ukulele teaching videos because I've also got a little uh, film business which I have with uh, my son Matthew and um, so I've got all the gear and then I started making these videos and uh, I had them on YouTube unlisted so people can't find them and then I started selling them and I would sell them as a set and people would buy a series um, and then I would provide them with the links and the music that they needed to go with them. Um, that's, that generated a reasonable amount of income. I wasn't marketing to a really wide audience. It was gen generally to people who I'd done workshops with at festivals, who I'd got to know all over the country. Um, and then um, I did three series. I, I've been working, thinking about doing a fourth. That got delayed when I broke my wrist uh, a couple of months ago. It, it's quite a bit better now. Um, and uh, then before Christmas, some people were asking, have you got hard copies? Because this was all, I'd send them the files uh, through emails, the, the music files, and then they would have a link to YouTube. And some people said, well, actually, my internet connection isn't that great. So I started putting the videos on pretty large data sticks, 32 gigabyte data sticks, and uh, print off a booklet. And, and they went really well. I mean, things are quiet on that front at the moment. But when festivals start opening up and I start doing workshops again, and people come up to me and they do come up to me and say, have you got a book that you can recommend? I'll say, no, but you can buy my series of ukulele videos. I say, yes, you know, I recommend my book. <laughs> yes, this is it. And uh, that's good. And you know, the feedback I've had from people that have done them um, has been good. So uh, Now that lockdown's opening up, have you got any bookings for gigs or what is coming up for you in the future? Well, during lockdown, I did, I did do two gigs in the summer. One, they had a lovely one at Hexham Abbey. And I, I played a couple of sets there during an outdoor, little outdoor festival. And then also I was contacted by uh, Anik Music Festival, who said to me, if you were to organise an online music festival, how would you do it? And my response was, how would I do it? Would not necessarily be the same way as other people would do it. But I said, this is how I would do it. And then uh, basically I help them organize it <laughs> that you know we put it together the way i said and and i did make a video myself for that festival as you did um i've uh, 
couple of other things I've done actually before I move on to what I'm going to do is um, I got involved with a project with Bridie Jackson, um, Bridie Jackson of the Arbor, who uh, they went around the, the sort of folk circuit or a circuit of folk music players and did Glastonbury as well, uh, where she wrote a series of songs about unsung heroes. And I recorded one for her, which uh, things got a little bit delayed. They should be getting published sometime in the near future. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I've also recorded a, a radio show for Northumberland Radio, uh, which is being played every Thursday night this month for an hour. An hour of me, God. God, there'll be sort of... Uh, Mad depression, I think, online. No, not at all. But to know what I've got lined up is uh, coming up this summer, um, a festival I've been to, well, for the last seven, or yeah, maybe seven years, is the Mighty Dub Fest. Ooh. It's not to do with dubstep, it's to do with VW vehicles. And it's everything you wanted to know about VW vehicles, but were afraid to ask. And all people in their camper vans and whatever gather, and they've got all kinds of entertainment and stages of music. And I'll be going to do some workshops there. And that's that's up at Annick with a beautiful backdrop of Annick Castle. Um, hopefully, Annick Music Festival are going to be doing a day as well. So I'll be involved with that. I've got my fingers crossed because Broadstairs Folk Week, which has been a regular thing in my calendar. Intense. We love last, Broadstairs. Yeah, oh, over yeah. the last few years. Um, they're just biding their time. They booked some apps. They're going to go ahead with an outdoor festival. But they're not sure what else they're going to go ahead with. But I've got my fingers crossed that I may be going there to do some workshops. But I don't know yet. Uh, but I'm, I'm hoping. And then also in August, uh, another festival that I did two years ago. Uh, it was the first time I did it. I think called Water Waterford Wakes. Waterfoot Wakes um, is in Lancashire, very close to where my eldest son lives. And uh, they're going to have a, a, a sort of a month-long festival with a lot of different events over the weekends throughout August. So I will be going to do something for them um, one of the last two weeks of August. Um, and then come September, we've got Barfest. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, I don't know when I'm going to be able to start my brewery sessions because the whole way pubs are uh, run has been different. And how they revert back to normal might be a longer process than we uh, would like. And there's got to be that element of normality before I can start using the, the tap room of the brewery for the brewery sessions. But we'll just have to wait and see. So if people want to hear your music online, uh, where, would they, where would they listen to What's your website address, etc.? Well, I don't have a website as, because I'm not very good at websites. Uh, you can find me on Facebook. You must look for Ian K. Brown, otherwise you get the you get that false imposter from the Stone Roses who keeps stealing my thunder. So he was um, a COVID denier anyways, we don't like him anymore. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, I've got a Reverb Nation account. Um, and on Reverb Nation, 
you can listen to some of my music and there are links on there also to a lot of uh, music videos um, that I've made. Uh, so you can see and hear me on that particular site. Uh, I do tweet occasionally, although I'm slowly being educated on how to use Twitter. I just, I'm not sure how the flipping hashtags work, but uh, it's something like Ian underscore K underscore Brown, no, at Ian underscore K underscore Brown. That's me, Twitter. Uh, but I don't know how to be a twit. Maybe I do. I'm not sure. I will. I will put that all in the description. So don't you worry about that. It'll be absolutely fine. Well, thank you. It's lovely to catch up and find out about your background and about what you're up to, and what you've been up to, and where you're going, where you're from. So yeah, it's very, very nice, and um, it's really nice to see you again. So hopefully we'll catch up in person soon. And when I'm allowed to give you a hug, and when I feel comfortable doing so, I shall. <laughs> Well, yeah, we'll have to be careful about that. No kissing, though. No, no, no. <laughs> well, you've always had that rule with me anyway. It's absolutely fine. <laughs> right. Okie doke. Really good talking to you, Stu. And you all the best. And we'll see you soon. See you soon. Take care. Bye-bye.